Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The clean fuel regulation, Mr. Trudeau's government analyzed and brought forward, or at least brought forward, was analyzed by the parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, and his team. And the budget officer calls the CFR, the clean fuel regulation, broadly regressive and says its price increase for gasoline and diesel will, by the time it's fully implemented in 2030, be more hurtful to lower-income households in Canada. This is as I understand it. Which prompted the Environment Minister, one Stephen Gilbo, we spoke about him yesterday when Scott Moe joined us, the uh, Premier of Saskatchewan. Mr. Gilbo calls the Parliamentary Budget Officer's report unbalanced, and Gerald Butts, Justin Trudeau's former advisor, ripped the report as incompetence on climate change. As well, Mr. Gilbo accused the parliamentary budget officer of an unbalanced modeling approach in the analysis of the price of pollution. There's a lot to get into and a lot to cover. And Mr. Giroux, Yves Giroux, the parliamentary budget officer, has been very good to us with his time in the past. He's back with us today. Mr. Giroux, how are you? I'm good, despite you quoting some of my greatest fans, and that reminds me that I don't have just friends in this country, but I'm good nonetheless. Thank you. Well, I I asked you once some time ago, um, what is it that causes you to lose sleep? And I, I didn't really expect a detailed answer, but you provided me one. Should I start with that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the um, the clean fuel regulation. Mr. Uh, Trudeau's mm-hmm. government is bringing forward. Um, have you said that it's broadly regressive? Quote end quote, and its price increase for gasoline and diesel will, by the time it's fully implemented in 2030, be more hurtful to lower income households in Canada. Yes because that's the definition of regressive. It means that it has a proportionally bigger impact on lower-income households, and that's exactly what the clean fuel regulations will do. They'll have an impact in dollar terms that will not be as big for low-income households as those with higher incomes, but as a share of income, it will have a bigger impact on those in the lowest income quintile compared to those at the higher end of the income range. So uh, when Mr. Gilbo, the environment minister, accuses you of uh, being unbalanced or issuing an unbalanced report, I understand that the information you received and which you used to create the report actually originated with his ministry, the uh, Environment and Climate Change Ministry of, of Canada. Is that correct? 
That's totally accurate. We use the data that was provided to us by Environment and Climate Change Canada. In fact, the 16, 17 cent per liter increase in the price of gasoline and diesel is numbers provided to us by Minister Gilbo's department, as is the impact on the GDP, uh, minus 0.3% or $9 billion, a negative impact on GDP by 2030. These are numbers that were provided to us by Minister Gilbo's own department. And we talked with officials. They did not dispute the conclusions of our report. Um, I'm sure they would not have put it exactly the way we have put it, but nobody is disputing the methodology. Uh, my understanding is that Minister Gilbo and Mr. Butts have issues with the fact that we are making clear that the clean fuel regulations will have costs to ordinary Canadians, virtually everybody who uses a vehicle or fossil fuels like diesel or gasoline, uh, and which is the vast majority of Canadians. So it will have cost implications for each and every one of us. Maybe they would have preferred us not to mention that, that these clean fuel regulations will have benefits. Granted, they'll reduce greenhouse gas emissions by up to 27, 26 sorry, million tons of CO2 equivalent by 2030. But this comes with a cost, and that's what our report just mentioned, that there will be cost to these regulations. And your report is based on numbers, not opinions. Exactly. And that's that's a fact. That's a well-known fact that if you force refiners or importers of gasoline and diesel to reduce the greenhouse gas intensity of their fuels, for example, by requesting that they blended more biofuels or that they buy carbon offsets or that they change the way they produce oil and, oil and gas, that this will have costs. If it didn't have costs, they would already be doing it if it was cheaper to blend in biofuels or buy credit, offsetting credits. They would already be doing it because they're looking to maximize their profits. So if they're not doing it already, it's because it has additional costs. It's pretty easy to understand, in, in my opinion. And the numbers are based on what the government provided to us. It's quite something when the minister accuses you of an unbalanced report, when the information you received to create the report came from his ministry. Um, Let's get at the carbon tax. You heard uh, the clip I just played from Pierre Polyev in an interview I recorded with the Conservative Party leader on Wednesday. So the carbon tax, your assessment of the tax, as it gathers momentum and increases the cost of fuel, transportation, and heating— and uh, the impact of the tax, what is, what is your assessment that, uh, of the impact it will have on families and individuals as we head to 2030 and a major increase in the carbon tax uh, bite? Will the federal rebate cover the increase for all Canadians? Um, it will if you just look at money in, money out. So if you just look at the amount of carbon tax that people will pay directly or indirectly and the additional GST that will be levied on the carbon tax, minus the rebate that households will get, for the majority of households, that will be a net benefit. So, But that's looking just at how much you pay in carbon tax and how much you receive in the rebate, in rebate uh, every quarter, I think. So 
From that pure money-in, money-out perspective, yes, most households will be better off, except those that spend, obviously, a lot on, on fossil fuels, gas, diesel, etc. But if you also look at the economic impact, because we all know that if you impose a tax on something, that tends to distort economic activity. So, for example, people who work in the oil and gas sector obviously will be negatively affected, but also those who work in the transportation sector, there will be some negative impacts. And in other sectors that tend to rely more heavily on fossil fuels, there will be economic impacts that will be negative for these sectors. So taking that into account as well, in addition to the investment income for those who own oil and gas stocks or stocks in companies that are more heavily reliant on fossil fuels, then they'll have slightly lower economic returns. So if you combine all these factors, on average, Canadian households will be worse off with a carbon tax than without a carbon tax. If you were to factor in what a household has to pay for commercial goods or for food, groceries, when the transportation sector has to pay more for fuel, that's going to be passed along the line and eventually it will reach the consumer. Is that also factored into your, into your calculations or is that something that we should add to this? No, it's also already factored in our, our models and our, our calculations. We assume full pass-through so that, house, uh, that producers and corporations will not reduce their profits, will pass the cost increases to their customers. Same for the clean fuel regulations. I mean by that that refiners and importers of oil will not reduce their profits, take a hit, and behave as if they were benevolent um, corporations that will sacrifice themselves for the greater good. So they'll pass these cost increases to their customers, and that will result in increased costs, uh, be it directly for fossil fuels or indirectly for, for example, I don't know, the bread that gets delivered or food that gets delivered or inputs that go into production processes for, for goods and services that we use. Okay. When we get to the issue of servicing the national debt, that seems to be, because it's a big number, seems to be a sensitive issue with certainly some politicians at the federal level. What, what does it cost us on an annual basis? What does it cost the taxpayers right now, just as far as servicing this trillion dollar plus national debt that we have? So each year, the interest costs on that national debt amount to about $44 billion dollars. And it's set to rise as every year there's more debt that becomes, um, that matures, so that needs to be re refinanced. For example, debt that was issued five, six, seven years ago at one or two percent that becomes due needs to be refinanced at higher interest rates. So that's one factor that will make this servicing debt, cost servicing debt, the cost of servicing the debt, sorry, higher. And the fact that we have a deficit each and every year that adds to the debt every year. So $44 billion this year, about that. And it's rising steadily to about $45, $46 billion in the next couple of years. So it's $44 billion at least each and every year that we have to pay in interest. So that would be what we would have considered some years ago, not that long ago actually, pre-COVID, to be three times what a reasonable federal deficit might be. 
Yep, exactly. Well, during the pandemic, the last numbers I have in front of me were for 21-22, and it was $24.5 billion. So that was just two years ago. As interest rates continue to climb, and they are, we expect them to go up next week, and inflation continues to go up, and I, I, I know it can't go on forever, but how concerned are you about the impact on our financial well-being in this country, um, the individual Canadians' well-being, when we're paying that much to service our national debt? Well, it's the inescapable consequence of having incurred big deficits during the pandemic and before the pandemic to a certain extent, and then after the pandemic. Uh, I don't know if you remember before the pandemic or during the pandemic, the government was really keen on talking about debt servicing costs and the debt service ratio. So that's the share of tax revenues that go towards servicing the debt. And it was at a record low despite the debt. So there's no problem. We can borrow and we can spend. But they've since shifted their speech towards more the debt-to-GDP ratio, which is still low compared to international standards. So there's been a shift in the attention that's put on the debt service ratio. The interest we pay on debt every year, it went from a favorable measure to still a favorable measure, but a different measure. So the government seems to be keen on shifting the focus. Look here, it's favorable. It's not that expensive. When that measure gets a bit less favorable, they shift the spotlight to another metric that is still favorable by international standards, but on the rise. So, for example, the government was focused on a declining debt-to-GDP ratio in the medium term. So they put more emphasis on in the medium term when the government tabled its budget because the debt-to-GDP ratio is increasing this year as a result of an economic slowdown and uh, still a deficit. So the government changes its discourse to ensure that it can say something that is still true and favorable, positive for their own messaging, even though the news are not as good as they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. I expect, look here, from a magician, but not from a, not from a government, but I guess they do it all the time. Look, let's talk as well. One of the reasons that we have the agreement, and I, I know you're not going to give me a, a political answer ever, and you can't, but we have the agreement between the NDP and the Liberal Party, the Confidence and Supply or Supply and Confidence Agreement. But part of that, the NDP wants a national pharmacare program and a national dental program. What's the cost of those programs? Can you project that or have you? Yeah, we have projected that. The dental care program, I think we've put at $13 billion. But because it's a Sunday afternoon and I don't have all the numbers in front of me, I don't remember exactly what's the cost of a pharmacare program. And I suspect your next question will probably be, can we afford it? Um, <laughs> How did you know that? that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We've had a few discussions. Yes, we have. Uh, yeah. So the, quest the answer to that question is it depends. So the government can probably afford that. 
but eventually it will have to decline some other big ticket, big ticket items. For example, our allies are keen on Canada increasing its contribution to defense, to NATO, for example. Mm -hmm. And NATO countries have a target of 2% of their GDP being spent on national defense. And Canada falls short of that. Okay. So if Canada wants to meet that target, have pharmacare, dental care, daycare, national daycare at $10 a day per kid, it starts to add up and it may not all be sustainable. Okay, Mr. There Giroux. might be tax increases. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 